Good morning. Turn, please, to Psalm 34. This November, Gina and I will be celebrating our 29th wedding anniversary. And you'll hear a little more on March 2nd of how shocking it is that we made it to our second anniversary. Uh, But when we experienced the grace of God in our second year of marriage, uh, November 18 of each year is our own holiday remembering what we would have been left to ourselves had we not experienced the power, the grace, and the love of Christ on our marriage. That day in 1995, we, we had a live band at our, our party, our reception, and they had a policy. They would learn one song. If, if you wanted to have your dance to a song they didn't know, they'd learn one song for you. And we asked them to learn a song by Jeff Moore and the Distance. Raise your hand if you have any idea who Jeff Moore and the Distance is. Good, good, y'all have gray hair just like me. Um, The song is called, If You Could See What I See. And it speaks of the yearning the bride has for the groom to to see himself the way she sees him. And for the, groom, for, to, for the groom to have the bride see herself the way he sees her. If you could just see what I see, you'd rest in the confidence of my love. Here are some of the lyrics to that song. If beauty is all in the eye, I'm right, I'm right now tempted to sing it for you. I won't. <laughs> if beauty is all in the eye of the beholder, then I wish you could see the love for you that lives in me. And you would know you have my heart. If you could see what I see, that a treasure's what you are. If you could see what I see, and the tears that I'm fighting back are not just because I love my wife, which I do. The reason I'm sharing this song with you today, these lyrics, is because today we are going to focus on God's love for you. And we can waver so easily in our weakness, in our understanding. We can waver in whether God loves us, in why God loves us. We can be confused by how God loves us. And I believe it is God's heart for each of us this morning to step in and see how God sees us so that we could be assured that if we could just see what he sees, we'd know that we have his heart. We'd know that we are a treasure. See, the, the conflict in our own souls comes because our minds know that God loves us. The Bible tells us over and over and over again. If you grew up in the church, you've been singing it since about the time you became potty trained. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if you grew up in a loving home as a young Christian, that's easy to believe because you experience love and protection and care. But at some point, For some of us younger than others, at some point, we run into the brick wall of life. And we're like, wait a second, this doesn't feel like love. If, 
God loved me? Wouldn't he? And then we fill in that blank. And because God's love doesn't always look the way we think it should, we question whether God loves us. And then we come back to our Bibles and we see, okay, God says he loves us. I'm not experiencing that love in my own perception. Something must be wrong with me. And so either we blame God or we blame ourselves, all the while with God saying, singing over you, you would know you have my heart if you could see what I see. Now, we're going to spend time in Psalm 34 looking at how God loves us, but let me finish the introductory part of this sermon by underscoring why God loves us. Because I want to be clear, though I am sure you're a wonderful person, God's love for you is not based on how awesome you are. Because the best that we have nailed Jesus to a cross. Even our best works, when presented to to God, are as filthy rags. There is no one righteous, no, not one. He's not impressed with our attempts at righteousness. So if it's not our inherent beauty, if it's not our inner potential that he sees, what is it? What is it that if you could see what God sees when he look at you, you'd know you have his heart? Friends, he sees when he looks at you the completed and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is not hard to love. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are in Christ. You are not just with Christ. It's not like you walk up to the gate of heaven and you're like, he's looking at you and he's like, why would I let you in? And you're like, well, I'm with this guy. Okay? No, you are in this guy. So when he sees you, he doesn't just overlook your weaknesses. He doesn't just overlook your sins. In being born again, those have been entirely wrapped, enclosed in the righteousness of Christ. So let me me illustrate this for you. Keep in mind all illustrations have a limit. But you, I should have drawn all over this paper. This is probably too clean. This is you outside of Christ. Just this piece of paper, nothing very impressive. This is the perfect revelation of the righteousness of Christ lived out in Jesus' life. Now watch what happens. This is you. This is what God sees when he looks at you. You can't see an inch of that piece of paper. You are wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. When we wonder why would God love somebody like me, we are looking at the paper. 
When you ask, why would God love somebody like me? It's because you are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. This is not hard for him to love. Outside of Jesus, this can't find the light of day in the kingdom of God. This he must judge. This has eternal, immovable hope forever and ever. Amen. Wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. You would know you have God's heart if you could see what he sees. Don't get distracted by staring at your own shortcomings. Jesus, God sees Jesus when he looks at you. His love is immovable because Christ is perfect. His love is immovable because you have been purchased. You would know you have his heart. 1 Corinthians 5 sums it up when it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is why God loves you. Then we got to figure out how. All right, God loves me. Christ's work is completed, so God's love is immovable. How does God love us? The why is important. The why is foundational. The why provides the security and the stability for the how. And that's where Psalm 34 comes into play. In just these four verses we're going to look at today, we learn of God's posture to love. We learn of God's power to love. And we learn of God's presence with us. Please take a look at Psalm 34, verses 15 to 18. This is God's holy and authoritative word. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Pray with me, please. Father, would you please come and would you bless this, the preaching of your word? Lord, and by that same spirit, would you visit with each soul here and bless the hearing of your word so that all of us, preacher and congregation together, would be more like Jesus as a result of being here today and sitting under your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point number one, God's posture of love. He is a leaning God. He's a leaning God. Take a look at 15 and 16 with me, please. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut them off, 
to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And so right out of the gate in verse 15, we are learning that God leans toward us with his hand behind his ear. He leans toward us so that he can hear carefully our cry. There's no great act we have to perform to get God's attention. There are no rituals we have to follow to somehow earn an audience with God. When Christ died and reconciled us to God, it forever changed his posture toward you. It forever secured an audience for you with God. You may remember the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember, there were 450 of them. There were one of Elijah. You may remember that story. The prophets of Baal are trying desperately to get Baal's attention. Get him to pay attention to them. Listen to the account of what they do. This is in 1 Kings 18. It should be on the screens. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry out, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself. That's him. He's in the bathroom. Can't hear you. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. Listen to this. No one paid attention. This is tragic. Just think of the sadness of watching this. There's no one there to hear. No one's paying attention to them. And then Elijah, when it's his turn, does he dance around the altar? Does he start cutting himself with swords to show how much he loves? He just prays and God hears. Because God was leaning to Elijah. Elijah already had God's attention. He didn't have to tap God on the shoulder. And if you're a parent of more than one child, you know the, the limits we have. We're talking to one, and the other one's talking, and you're just like, oh, hang on for a second. I, I, I can't be in two places at once. And they don't know that, nor do they care. So they keep talking, and this one's getting louder while you're trying to talk to this one. And then this one has clogged the toilet, and this one has fallen down. And you, you've got one place you can fix your attention. This is not God. God can give each one of us his full attention. You always have it, because God leans toward you. I wonder if you find yourself trying to perform, thinking you need to get God's attention. 
Do you try to woo him with increased surges of devotion? You start to find some trouble at work, and so you're like, okay, I got to get serious about my quiet times now. And you extend your quiet times hoping that somehow procures more favor from God. Maybe there's a sin you've tolerated. You get a rough medical diagnosis. You're like, okay, I really want the Lord to move. Let me purge that thing he's been talking about getting rid of in my life. Now listen, lengthy quiet times are fine. Confessing and repenting from sin, I recommend it. But our repenting from our sin doesn't get us more attention from God. Doesn't make him lean in more. The thing that makes him lean is that you're in Christ. It's the completed work of Jesus that secures our place before God, before this leaning God. So yes, spend more time in your word. Yes, repent of the sins the Lord has convicted you of. Yes and amen. But realize that doesn't earn us with God. Jesus is the only earner before God. That just allows us to enjoy more of God. Because God is already leaning. Now before I move on, I want to point out that perhaps we think this is how he is toward everyone. Perhaps we think God is love and therefore he leans. But verse 16 is there. We can't just jump over verse 16 to verse 17. We can't just pick out the leaning verses. Verse 16 is there that tells us that he is against those who are against him. There's a stark difference between God's posture toward the righteous and God's posture toward the wicked. He leans toward those who are in Christ. He's against those who are not. And so, what causes him to lean? Well, it's the fruit of the gospel. It's our being wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. And so you may be here today as a guest, and you may be saying, I'm just checking out this church. I've met a couple people from this church. Most of them are okay, so let me, let me come check out this church. And you're hearing about this in Christ thing for the first time. First of all, thank you for making it this far in the service. You're like, I probably should have left five minutes ago. Um, let me just thank you for being here, but let me say to you, you can be in Christ today. None of us is in Christ because we got smart. We're in Christ because we heard the good news that Jesus came and died to save sinners. And by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, we responded to that. We didn't save ourselves. We've been saved from our sins, and you can do that today. The Scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation, and that this God, who must be against the wicked because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, he says today, no, by faith and trusting in the completed work of Jesus for your sins, you can be wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. And as soon 
as you are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, you have a leaning God. God leans. Now, for the Christian, we're not impervious to doubting this, are we? We can experience trials and weakness. We can wonder about the the posture of God's love. Well, what is his posture toward us when we doubt, when we're anxious? God doesn't sit back and just say, when is this person going to get it? No, he leans toward us in compassion. When we fail, fall again into that sin that we've shared and we've confessed and we've thought we beat, God doesn't sit back recoiling in horror, wagging his finger at you. No, he leans toward us with patience and mercy. God's face was against you. God's ear is now toward you. He leans. Point number two, how does God love us? Well, we see God's power to love. He is a helping God. Take a look at verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. It is a good thing that we have a leaning God, but you've had problems, haven't you? That you've shared with a friend who leans, but the solution to those problems has been beyond your friend's reach. And it's a comfort to have someone who will hear you and step into the difficulty with you, but wouldn't it be really great if they could fix the problem? God can. God doesn't just lean, he helps. He isn't just compassionate, he's powerful. For those who are in Christ, we are not victims of purposeless circumstance. God is not somehow chasing after a situation, trying to catch up to it before it does more harm than he can stop. We can rest forever within the loving reach of a sovereign and powerful God. When, when a hardship comes into your life, when your desire does not come to pass, in Christ, we can be assured that what has come to pass is in God's eternal plan better for us than if what we wanted came to pass. Because this sovereign God who leans to you will be a very present help in your time of trial. Now, we can be vulnerable to perceiving our relationship with God as something He tolerates. Perhaps you're, you're like me, and at the end of an evening, you've just sat down when a spouse or a roommate or one of your kids asks for your help. It's like 7.30, 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Your body has finally remembered you bought a couch six years ago, and you sit down on it for the first time all day. You let out that, hey, Dad, can you come here for a minute? No. (laughs) Now, you don't say that by God's grace. Hopefully, 
You do inside, and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to keep quiet till Jesus can come out of my mouth. <laughs> and sometimes they wait 20 minutes until Jesus can come out of your mouth. And finally, you're like, sure. But what you mean is, can you stop bothering me? I just want to rest. I just want to sit. And this is not, thank God, his posture toward us when we ask him yet again, can you help? He doesn't need a couch because he doesn't need rest. When we sleep, he's awake watching over us. When we come to the end of our resources, God's mercy and provision has just begun. He's a helping God who doesn't tire of our continual asking for help. We're prone to believe that God's love is like us, that he's selfish, that he's temperamental, that he's unpredictable, that he's finite. But he does not love like we love. His love is based entirely upon Christ. Christ's perfect and completed work doesn't change, so his love doesn't change, 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. His eye is toward the righteous. His ear is toward our cry, and his help is effective and powerful. And as a helping God, he's sympathetic to our weaknesses. We're going to take a quick look at various passages of Scripture Hebrews 4.15 is probably what just came to mind when I talked about how sympathetic he is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus walked in the flesh. He knows. He's been there. He can help. When you're facing trial, you can remember Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, and listen, acquainted with grief. If you're grieving, and you've cried out a hundred times, God does not cut you off. He leans and is ready to sustain you through the hundred and first but he's not just a comfort shoulder to cry on. He's not just someone who gets where we're coming from. He is an everlasting help. Psalm 54, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Psalm 72, for he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Do you feel needy today in any area of your life? Take Psalm 72, commit it to memory, let it serve your soul and drive you yet again to your helper. Psalm 118, out of my distress, I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Let me jump to Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord 
who made heaven and earth. Friend, the Bible is not ambiguous about God helping you. Our confidence in God's help is where the ambiguity comes. Our assurance that he will help is where the ambiguity comes. And so remember, God is not only helpful when you think he's helpful. He is helpful as long as Christ's righteousness lasts. And that's not going anywhere. We have a God who is forever committed to us because we are in Christ. And so God leans. God helps. And then point number three, God is near. It's God's presence with us. Take a look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Remember, who, notice there, who is he near? It's not those who have sufficiently obeyed, though I encourage obedience. It's not those who have avoided their besetting sins. It's not those who have their acts together, who clean themselves up enough to finally qualify to pray. It's to the brokenhearted. It's to the crushed in spirit. In the Psalms I just read, it's to the needy. You already qualify to come before the throne room of God. We spend so much of our lives trying to appear as though we are not needy. We don't like to appear as needy as we are. We don't like to appear as weak as we feel. We want to come to church, and we want to sit here in our silence and appear just as holy as you think everybody else is. And they're doing the same thing. They're coming, wanting to appear not needy. And when we cover up our neediness, when we hide our weakness from others, we are actually pushing aside the very thing that qualifies God to be with us. We're needy, and he's close to the needy. We're weak, and he's close to the weak. We're limited, and he's close to the limited. And when we say, I'm not needy, all of a sudden, we can't come into these verses and say, well, I'm needy, and God's going to be my helper. We've got to embrace our finite nature, embrace our weaknesses, embrace that, yes, by God's grace, we have some strengths, but it is also by God's grace that we have some weaknesses. For if we were always strong, why would we ever lean on the Lord? If we had all that we needed within ourselves, why would we ever come to Christ? Rather than saying, well, I want to appear like the tax collector, like the, the Pharisee, we've got to be willing to be the tax collector. Rather than saying, Lord, let me at least appear like I'm not like other men. And we've got to be like, the, like the, the, the person who fell on his face and said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, help me, a, a weak and needy person. Pretending everything is going well not only hides our broken hearts, not only hides our crushed spirit, 
it will limit our prayer life simply because we won't be going to God and benefiting from the grace he puts in others if we don't bring these things into the light. Spurgeon captures this. He says, broken hearts think God far away when he's really most near to them. Their eyes are holden so that they see not their best friend. Indeed, he is with them and in them, but they know it not. They run hither and thither, seeking peace in their own works or in experiences or in proposals and resolutions, whereas the Lord is nigh them and the simple act of faith will reveal him. Keep that quote up there for a minute if you would. When you are needy and you do have a broken spirit, let's just be honest with the Lord right now. Where do you run? When you need relief, when you need comfort, where do you go? Is it the television? Is it some game on your phone? Is it drink? What is it that we do to distract us from our neediness and our brokenness? Lord, this is what he's talking about in this quote, that they run hither and thither, seeking peace in their own works. Wherever the Lord just brought up in your mind, you go. Just the next time you go there, allow the Spirit to say, hang on, bend your knee first. Come to me first. Because the simple act of faith will reveal the neediness of God who leans toward you and is powerful to help you. Let's acknowledge the lesser things we turn to and allow ourselves the great benefit of simply expressing faith in a leaning and helping and powerful God. You can take that down. Thank you. Friends, let me close with this. Your God, the God you came today to worship, loves you immovably and immeasurably. He leans, he helps, and he's present. And if that were all he was, he'd be, wet, he'd be worthy of every bit of praise we give him. But sometimes we've got to step back and realize, okay, this God who allows me to come to pray, this God who loves me, what is his resume? What are his qualifications? Who is this God? He's more than just a leaning, helping, and present God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the judge who sent the flood. He's the sovereign of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you read those stories, that's not the God of history back then. That's the living God who leans toward you today. He's the deliverer of Egypt, of Israel from Egypt. He's the pillar of cloud and fire. Remember those stories 
when you feel lost in the desert, when you feel like you're wandering and have lost your way, we have a God who manifests guidance and direction when we follow him. He's the conqueror of Canaan with Joshua. This God who leans is the king of Israel. And at the same time, he is the friend of David. He's the one who spoke perfectly through the prophets. That same leaning God is the word made flesh. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who was and is and is to come. When you need help, how wonderful it is that you get it from the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who governs every minute of past, present, and future and knits it all together for the goodness of his glory and the goodness of his people. This God that we serve, this is the God who loves us by leaning and helping and being present with us. His affections never drift. His posture never changes. And his children, at every minute of each of their days, can be assured of his love. And with that assurance, we can face our trials. We can face our need. We can embrace our weaknesses, and we can rest. Spurgeon, one more time, says, We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It's what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. Dearly loved children of God, you would know you have God's heart if you could see what he sees. And because of Jesus, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, and in case he leaves anything out, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me invite the band to come on up and would you pray with me please? Oh Father, in light of this we come to you first with grateful hearts. Hearts thankful that you revealed yourself we wouldn't even know our neediness if you didn't reveal truth. We would think so highly of ourselves if you didn't show us truth. So thank you for being a revealing God and then being a merciful God who sees the hopelessness of that truth and delivers us from our condition. Lord, thank you for being our God. And we ask you, Lord, for your help you, you lean and you help. So we ask you, Lord, to help us to leave this place where right now we have great faith for your love. But the moment we walk out these doors, the enemy would love to take up this seed and run away with it. 
Lord, would you keep the enemy far from this truth so that it would take root in our lives and we would manifest greater faith, greater confidence, greater assurance, greater victory, greater compassion for others, greater patience because we experience more and more and more of the great love that you have for us. Lord, to you be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen.